If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The coronavirus landscape seems to change by the hour in Ohio, and this week has seen a lot of change. After weeks of disagreement, most people now agree it's not going to be nearly as bad as was predicted in Ohio. That's something we'll talk about on This Week in the CLE, our podcast about the coronavirus. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at Cleveland.com, with editors Chris Warnowski, Jane Cahoon, and Laura Johnston. Are you guys rushing out to buy toilet paper before Dave Yost tries to restrict you? No. <laughs> I have exactly what I need. No more, no less. We'll have fun with Yost in a bit. Let's get started on the discussion. What is the new official prediction for the coronavirus in Ohio? We've been drilling into projections on the virus for a week on this podcast, trying to understand how they can be so wildly different. The Cleveland Clinic, which has never really explained how it reached its conclusion, scared us all with its prediction that the virus would not peak until early summer. The University of Washington says it peaked yesterday. And the official projection from Ohio has said it will come in several weeks with 10,000 cases a day. But now we have a very different picture from the state. Jane Cahoon. Well, the new prediction from state officials is for the virus to peak in Ohio with a daily high of about 1,600 cases on April 19th, just 10 days from now. And that's more in keeping with the projection that Metro Health released earlier this week, the one that said we won't have a big curve and spike, just a lot of little spikes. Both, though, are based on a big factor, which is? The big factor is that Ohioans are following the stay-at-home order and the social distancing rules. And Dr. Amy Acton, the state's health director, said all of these efforts are squashing that scary-looking curve. This is good news overall, obviously, but but we can't really get past that there's some tragedy ahead. People are going to keep dying. Hospitals, while not overrun beyond their capacity, are going to be in crisis mode, if you've read anything about what it's like treating people with this thing. How many deaths are being projected for the state now? I don't think I've seen anything from the state on this, but the University of Washington projection shows 489 deaths total, with uh, the deaths peaking this Sunday at 26. Which is far fewer than we talked about, but man, that's still a lot of uh, a right. lot of grief. Still a lot of loss. And we could still screw this up, right? We could still cause more people to die if we all start having parties and hanging out together. Everybody's saying the numbers could fly back up and look like those original projections. Yes, precisely because these aggressive measures are what's driving this, flattening the curve. So Dr. Acton said we we cannot let up now, so we still need to stay at home, 
keep our distance, wash our hands, wear masks, et cetera. What, what I'm still a little bit confused about is with, with the projections stretching out uh, with, with multiple people saying that the virus will be around for a long time and so we can always get exposed to it, I'm still tripping over how you return to normal. You, keep, you, know, you see the CDC is saying maybe we don't need 14-day quarantines for people who are exposed, who have no symptoms. Maybe they can go back. But it seems like any relaxing of any of the rules, letting us go outside, could change this. And so I'm still, I just, I know we've talked about this a good bit on the podcast, but I'm still confused about the relaxation of the rules when they keep telling us that any relaxation of the rules brings back death and destruction. Chris Wernaski, Laura Johnson, any thoughts on that? It's just, it's weird to me that we, you know, we, again, we, we still tend to look at this at, on a state by state level. It's like, well, we're doing great, but Florida's doing bad. And, uh, you know, and Illinois is doing great, but, you know, the, somewhere else in the South is probably doing bad. And, and it's, it's, you know, we're about to see a bunch of people from the South come back here and Lord knows what they might bring with them. And, and so again, I feel like it, it's great that our state is behaving, but, you know, it's, you know, when you start to look at, at neighboring states, if if you start to say, okay, it's, it's people can travel, you know, it's, it, there's, it, there's that unknown of what happens when you say, okay, a little bit of normalcy comes back and, and then we're back out in grocery stores and we're back out in the world again, you know, trying to pretend like it's normal. And, and it's, it's, I think everybody, everybody sees the, the carrot of normal, 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 and and my big concern is that you know we're trying to race to that so quickly with by and we're putting people at risk by you know i mean trying to get the economy back on track trying to do all this and it's like okay you know you know maybe we shouldn't you know rush back into this and right the and, minute you, the minute you do that you you start you, there's no escaping that you're increasing the numbers of people that get exposed i mean if just our office went back to work, the, the hundred people that are in our office, we're going to transmit it. Somebody's going to get it. Somebody's going to transmit it. So it's, it, I just, and nobody's, you know, they're starting to talk. It was funny. We talked about this on the podcast yesterday and everybody talked about it. We're going to get to it in a minute about the emergence, but I, I just, I'm tripping over exactly what you said. If you start to go back to normal, you're putting people. Well, I think that people are trying instead of right now trying to get back to normal are like inserting normal into this weird world that we're living in. So one of my friends, uh, my, my friend's sons and my son's friend is turning, um, I think nine today. And so there's going to be a caravan of cars, minivans driving past his house and we're all decorating the vans and the kids will be able to wave out the window. And so it's not a birthday party, right? But these people are, we're, we're trying to infuse fun in what is a very, somber time. And so I think that is helping make us last a little longer. That's really sweet. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Does long-term air pollution in Cleveland mean we're all in more danger from the coronavirus? A Harvard University study seems to say so. Anyone who has lived in Cleveland for any amount of time knows that our air quality is pretty bad for a lot of the year. Chris Ranowski, what did the study have to say about that? Well, the first thing uh, is the, the Harvard study did not show any anything specific about 
the greater Cleveland area. But what it did show was a little bit alarming. Um, the, the researchers show, they looked at pollution, uh, from particulates in more than 3000 counties in the United States and, and, and comparing long-term averages with county death statistics and for the coronavirus. And they found a statistical link between coronavirus deaths and prolonged exposure to something called PM25 soot pollution that involves particulates smaller than 2.5 micrometers in diameter. And they said that uh, because long, long-term exposure to it affects the respiratory and cardiovascular system, it can exacerbate the severity of the coronavirus infection symptoms and could increase the risk of death in patients who have it. I was surprised after I lived in Cleveland for a while to notice the soot that seemed to build up on buildings and on houses. I hadn't seen that in other places where I live, like Florida and New Jersey. That's the stuff we're talking about, right? That 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 kind of gritty particulate stuff that you know, it's like the soot in your in your chimney, right? And and it has. I mean, you have to imagine that you know, there's, there's people like, uh, like me and like, I've only lived here a couple of years. I've lived here like six years. You've lived here 20, you know, we, we didn't even live here when it was really, really bad. I mean, you go back and you see all that video and pictures of the heyday of, of steel production and industrial production here, you know, so people who lived in this city through that, you know, they experienced air pollution on a, on a level that is far beyond what we experience today. So, you know, there's no research that says that those people are more at risk, but you know, if, if, if this study from Harvard is any indication, I mean, you know, you, you know, that might account for, you know, why this affects older Clevelanders that more than it does younger ones or whatever. So. Yeah, that's an interesting take. One of the reporters you work with, Evan McDonald did a pretty deep dive just a couple of weeks ago about how hard, this coronavirus is on the lungs. Unlike other viruses, this one seems to attack more broadly, which which is a little bit instructive given the pollution talk. Can you explain a little bit about what he found? Well, they they found that that this is it's leading to a lot of what is known as acute respiratory distress, distress syndrome, which they typically call ARDS or ARDS, and that that respiratory failure causes a high mortality rate. and And what they're finding in the coronavirus is that it presents very different in the lungs in a lot of things. and And in in an examination of of uh, over a hundred patients who had it from China, they were noticing this distinct pattern that the virus appears to take on the outside edge of both lungs. And and while they don't know yet, the data might prove that the the virus uh, is. Is is it presents in in the same way as a lot of other viruses, but but the the way that it spreads so rapidly, it makes it difficult for your body to to build up any type of defense against it. So, you know, it, it, again, it's it's one of these things where the the virus is so unique and different than a lot of things that the medical community has experienced that that they haven't really found a singular way to sort of combat it. Yeah, except throwing people on ventilators, which doesn't work all the time. Laura Johnston, reporter Emily Bamforth has done several stories about lungs and the virus as well. And one was was kind of appropriate for this discussion about the pollution. It looked at why smoking and vaping make people more vulnerable 
because of the tiny little bits of damage it does to the lungs. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Air pollution, smoking, and vaping all damage your lungs. They cause inflammation, which reduces the lung capacity and then makes it harder to breathe. That damage makes it easier for the coronavirus to target your lungs and make you really sick. Well, with smoking and vaping, I guess you can stop, but we're not going to be able to do much about the pollution we've all been breathing. So I guess the best advice is to keep staying clear of the virus. It's this week in the CLE. Okay, so why does Attorney General Dave Yost want to tell me how much toilet paper I can buy? This is a curveball Wednesday, Jane Cahoon. The Ohio Senate wants to give the Attorney General the power to regulate some of what we can buy during a crisis, and that includes our beloved toilet paper. What gives here? Well, this this new bill, as you mentioned in the Senate, would give Yost the power to to put limits on on how much customers can buy of these various items that have been in demand during the crisis, like toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And a judge could actually issue an injunction ordering, you know, limits on on what a supplier could sell. And if they don't obey that, they could have to pay up to $15,000 for each day that they disobey the order. And three-fourths of that money would go to the state's Consumer Protection Enforcement Fund, and the rest of it would go to the county where the infraction occurred. I, you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> the the optics on this, and Dave Yost worked on this bill, so he knew it was coming. I mean, I can just see a Jeff Darcy cartoon with Dave Yost wearing a toilet paper police badge or something. It's just the, the, the optics of being the guy that regulates toilet paper. I don't think most public officials <laughs> w- would want that. The legislation also prohibits price gouging. Has there Have we seen a lot of complaints about this? Yeah, I, you just made me think of politicians being full of, oh, never mind, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Yo says his office has received, since like the beginning of March, his office has received more than 400 complaints of businesses, both online businesses and in-person businesses, grossly inflating prices. Okay, and so they'll be able to regulate that. Do, do any of you understand the fixation that this crisis has caused with toilet paper? All through it, when it comes to the one product that people just keep trying to hoard, it's toilet paper. It's not food. It's not coffee. It's not booze. And, you know, there's a capacity for how much toilet paper any person needs. And <laughs> now we've reached a point where the top law enforcement officer in the state is going to have to regulate it. Uh, I mean, a hundred years from now, when you talk about this case, the way we talk about the Spanish flu, toilet paper is going to be at the forefront. Does anybody get this? I Yeah, actually, I kind of do. Um, one, I first of all, I didn't realize Dave Yost was a socialist. Like that's news to <laughs> out here telling businesses what they can and can't sell. That does not sound like free market capitalism to me. But, but the fascination with this, I think, I, and I've heard people talk about this, and I don't know if there's any sort of scientific evidence to it, but it's sort of how, like in the South, it's a big deal because my parents live in Florida, and and it's how people prepare for a hurricane. You know, they go out. And they buy things that they think they're going to need. So they get, they stock up on milk, they, st- they stock up on bread, they stock up on things like toilet paper, things like that. And, and when they do that, you know, when, when you don't have control over something this big, you know, it's, it's a way to sort of comfort yourself. It's, it's like, you know, we're trained that 
you know, in all these sort of like doomsday TV shows and things like that. So, so really what it is, is when people are rushing out to buy things like that, they're doing it because it's, it's something they can control in something that is largely uncontrollable in their life. And when I was in Florida though, Chris, I, I, you know, I went through the hurricane thing and it was batteries, it was water, it was canned goods. I don't remember the, the toilet paper being front of my, we lived there at different times. So maybe <clears> this evolved, but I just, I'm just surprised. It's the first time I've seen like, oh, I might get locked in my house. I need it, to hoard toilet paper. But it is it, it is a problem. I mean, we have, you know, my girlfriend has a family member who had their colon removed. And so, you know, we're in charge of shopping for them. And so every time we go to a store and there's not toilet paper, we have to go to another store. And you have to imagine that every time we go to a different store, we up the odds of us, you know, contracting something. And so it's, it's, it is a problem and, and it's ridiculous that people are hoarding it. You know, there's, <laughs> I mean, there's just no need for it to not be in stores. And, and it is kind of a shame that we behave in such a way as human beings that it's going to take government intervention to fix this problem. Well, then in all seriousness, do, do, do we all think this law is needed? I mean, based on what Chris just said, there needs to be something done, I, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit over top to say we need to regulate toilet paper sales, but we have had ugly examples of it. I mean, the, the lieutenant governor talked about people fighting over toilet paper as a ridiculous antic in this thing. So so does it feel like this is a needed law? And how does this end? Does Dave Yost keep this power forever? Uh, no, he does not. The the those transaction limits and the price gouging measure, measures, those could only be imposed during the state of emergency, which DeWine declared on, Governor Mike DeWine declared on March 9th. So it seems like a silly thing, but but I guess I guess the consensus is really not. Okay. <laughs> is on a roll. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What part of society will be the first to have the coronavirus restrictions get relaxed? We talked Wednesday on this podcast about the process by which we might emerge from our first hibernations. None of us thought that the state would suddenly lift all of the restrictions. We asked whether younger age groups would be the first allowed out or whether restaurants could reopen with some kind of capacity limits, groups of certain sizes being allowed. Laura Johnston, like magic, a few hours later after we discussed this topic, Ohio Health Director Amy Acton was talking about it during the daily briefing. What did she say? So Dr. Acton didn't exactly spell out Ohio's step-by-step plan to relax social restrictions, but she was pretty clear on the idea that it will start very slowly and it'll start with businesses. It will not start with mass gatherings. So where does it start then? Lieutenant uh, Governor John Husted had some ideas that he talked about. H- how does it begin? Yeah, Houston actually addressed this first on Wednesday, and he said businesses would start to reopen while keeping social distancing measures in place. That means spaced out seating, masks, gloves, heightened cleaning, taking temperatures of people before they walk in the door. He said this before, but it will not be like flipping a switch. But theaters and other places where crowds might assemble, there's nobody talking about anything like that. Has anybody talked about restaurants and schools? No, Acton specifically said schools are a big decision whether kids will go back. They have not answered that yet. 
I don't know if shops and restaurants would be counted as businesses when Houston was talking about that. Houston did say something about maybe companies opening for appointments only, but it, it did not sound like crazy crowded swimming pools or Major League Baseball is in our near future. Yeah, I just wonder whether you could change capacity for restaurants and, and set it up so that at least they could have people coming in. But then you got the question, would anybody go? I hope we take the time to pay attention to how this works because it'll be good to know for the future. We're having a hard time, uh, I guess, seeing how it, we came back after the uh, Spanish flu in a century ago. Anyway, it's this week in the CLE. Have any prison guards died of the coronavirus? Has anyone in the homeless shelters come down with it? Has the Youngstown area continued to be a coronavirus hotbed? And does every county have it yet? We had a lot of small updates on the coronavirus Wednesday. Let's do a quick go round. Jane Cahoon, how many cases and how many deaths have we had in Ohio so far? As of Wednesday, we've had 5,148 cases and 193 deaths. And has every county in Ohio been hit yet? Well, almost, but not quite. Right now, it's in 83 of our 88 counties. And of those other five, uh, four are in southeast Ohio and one is in northwest Ohio. That post that Rich Exner does where he shows the progression of the county maps is fascinating. Sure uh, whenever is. he posts it, I follow it. We had a story a week ago or, or so, I guess, about Mahoning County, Youngstown, being outsized with deaths and cases. Chris Warnowski, if things have gotten better or worse there? Um, they're probably not better. So, so it, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it just continues to grow and it continues to build. So do we, do we know how many cases there are? Is it uh, how many people have died there? Um, you know, I don't. <laughs> they, they jumped up to actually from 19 all the way up to 28 on, on Wednesday. And they've got like three times, you know, the per capita rate of the rest of the state. What about in prisons? We know prisoners have died. Have any guards? Uh, we did have our first guard pass away uh, at Marion County. Um, so that would be a first for the state. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, I, I suspect that this problem is going to continue to uh, affect the prisons and jails uh, throughout the uh, throughout Ohio. And homeless shelters. We've had lots of fears about homeless shelters. Has anyone in Cuyahoga County's homeless shelters been diagnosed with or died of it? Laura Johnston? We actually do not know the answer to that question. Uh, the city of Cleveland and Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries, which operates the biggest men's shelter in the county, says secrecy is needed to avoid identifying patients among the more than 100 transient men who use that Lakeside Avenue shelter on any given night. So they won't tell us. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Okay, one more for the fast round. We've talked and talked about pets. The diagnosis of a zoo tiger with the coronavirus brought the question back up. Can I get the coronavirus from my cat or my dog? Settle it, Laura. I'm sticking with no with the caveat that things are always changing <laughs> in coronavirus news. So I'm not saying this is the be all end all. Okay, that's a fast way to cover a lot of ground. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Is a church true to its professed beliefs if it holds public services that endanger congregants with the coronavirus? Ohio Governor Mike DeWine thinks that that's a mistake. And this question is timely because this is the High Holy Week in the Christian and Jewish faiths. 
Normally, huge numbers of people would gather in churches and temples this week. Jane Cahoon, the governor, is not ordering churches not to hold services because of the First Amendment issues, but he sure seems like he's against it. Well, he's definitely saying it's a really bad idea. I I really love the way he framed this at his briefing Wednesday. He said, we're not going to interfere with your First Amendment rights to practice your religion. But I don't know any religion that, that teaches that you should do things that seriously endanger other people. He said, I don't know any religion that says it's just okay not to worry about your neighbor. And most churches, or many churches, have set up online services, right? Laura Johnston, we've had stories about this. Yes, just about every church is closed, but many of them have online services. Our church, which is just down the road from our house, put mass on Facebook and on YouTube. So we sat on the couch and watched the Palm Sunday service uh, this week, which was much more enjoyable than standing during the entire Passion. (laughs) Uh, My daughter wanted to eat Triscuits for communion. Okay, that's cute. (laughs) A large group of rabbis clearly are worried about this in Northeast Ohio. They put together a rather charming video exhorting people not to get together. How did that come about? This is really cool. The Jewish community gathered rabbis and doctors and spoke about how Passover is the focal point of their year, but not this year, that people need to stay apart to save lives. I love this quote. Uh, Passover is so sacred to us, but the most sacred thing to us is our value of life. Yeah, it's really, it's a cool video. I was, it was good to see. We asked how our audience will celebrate the religious holidays this week to maintain some semblance of tradition. There's the religious side, and then there's the fun side. Laura, what did we learn? We are still looking for suggestions on this, so you can always email me. Uh, We'll try to get a great list together. Johnston at Cleveland.com. But I think a lot of people are going to try to keep up traditions from home. Families are sharing Passover seders virtually over Zoom. I think parents are still going to dress their kids in pastel bow ties and Easter dresses, maybe with bonnets. We're going to have Easter egg hunts in their yard. Uh, the Easter Bunny actually toured Rocky River in a convertible last weekend, waving and honking. So I think people are trying to create the traditions within this uh, weird normal that we've got. But do you guys have any special plans? I don't. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're all heathens. Sleep in. I'll, like send you, I'll send you the pictures. I told my daughter she has to wear a bonnet at least one more year. This is just the first of the holidays to be hit by the virus. I'll be interested to see where things stand when we get to Memorial Day and July 4th. I don't really see virtual fireworks. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. I miss anything? Is there anything else we need to talk about? I think with virtual fireworks, it's going to be like that Yule log on TV on, at Christmas. We'll just like watch it on our TV. That would be dreadful. Okay, then. <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow, we'll close out the week with our Friday episode. Thanks to Chris, Jane, and Laura. And thanks to you for listening to This Week in the CLE. 